you think you have the best defense in the league? Oh yeah, I know that for a fact. Best, best everything. Watch the film. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, motherfucker. One, two, We're back for another edition of the Big Red Louie podcast. My name is Presley Meyer. I'm alongside my buddy Alex Stingle. What's going on, Press? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Um, tough week on the football field, but we do, we are going into a bye week. So, yeah, um, in bye week tradition in this area, right? I mean, we, we got six weeks from today until basketball season starts. How does it feel? It, it, it's a little melancholy. And not, not because of the tradition. Because I am excited about basketball. But I think you know, because both you and Jacob alluded when I couldn't be here last week, that I had basically like fallen weeks and weeks and weeks into the rabbit hole of convincing myself why Louisville is going to get their first ACC road (laughs) win against Florida State. And then it sucked because like the first quarter, I felt like an idiot. Third quarter, I felt like a Notre genius. Dame. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm a prophet at this point. Like, Nostradamus? I, yeah, there you go. That's what I was thinking. The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Yeah, I don't know why I said that. Because <laughs> it's late and I'm dumb. Yeah. But, yeah, so I was literally, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what a comeback. Of course, Satterfield's first ACC win, blah, blah, blah. And then you realize these are still the same guys <laughs> that had to play through a nightmare two and ten season. Mm-hmm and that are used to imploding, and that are used to things going bad. And I could see where the staff came in and interjected their energy and positivity Mm -hmm. and, like, new coaching and good coaching because we would have never made that comeback in the first place at all. Like, we would have folded after 21-0. It would have been just like the Georgia Tech game last year. But the freaking mistakes. Like, I hate losing (laughs) games. I hate losing games you, like, I'd rather have just gotten beat. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you d- you're down 21 nothing. Okay. Let's, you know, let's try to score a couple. Like, keep it respectable. But you know what I'm saying? I'm not, is, I'm not asking for a whole lot. I know, but what? But you have to put in perspective what we said coming into the year. I, the stuff, it stuff doesn't like this was matter, because I told you I fell into a rabbit hole for this specific <laughs> Where you're basically, game. you're guaranteeing wins. And I shouldn't put emotions Handing out predict- all the facts. Yeah. I mean, dude, I we went through weeks of it. And Kate was sitting there on the couch, like, working... And she's like, why do you look so pissed? And I was like, I don't think you get the amount of time and the amount of effort we've talked about this game in the first 10 minutes. It's just, just all rude. going out the window. <laughs> I'm like, I need to log into WordPress. I need to delete every article of every mention that I even like said about Florida State. I was about to say, I'm surprised you haven't gotten roasted for it. I had some pretty... Uh, some pretty bold bold predictions one of them that i said that it's just and i called myself out for this on in a couple of articles already but uh talking about i basically said it wasn't a smoke screen alex warnerbrook was going to play but that was going to fall into louisville's hands because i just think that like you'd been saying florida state just does dumb things they're going to play hornybrook for no reason after they already had a really good quarterback and that he was just going to be super pedestrian and that wasn't going to work in their up-tempo offense and i was 100 percent wrong he passed for almost 300 yards um and and kind of limited action to be honest off the bench right 
Um, absolutely just slaughtered UofL's defense, 75% passing rate. According to PFF, the pro football focus, he had um, zero passes, um, zero catchable passes that were, or zero passes in the, I don't know what the exact stat is called, but passes that were catchable were all caught, basically. Right. Like he was, he, he had pretty much a perfect, perfect game. So, of course, that's what happens. But we're going to get to that a little bit later. Uh, we are going to have our good buddy Keith Wynn on the show. Um, so stay tuned for that. But we really want to talk about basketball right now because, um, again, we're six weeks out. we got Louisville Live coming up this week. Um, we had the jerseys come out recently, um, which I'm not sure if you're super high on them. I know a lot of people have been skeptical about the jerseys. No, At first, we when we were like, oh, we saw the 13 on the front, we're like, or we saw the 20 on the front, and mm. then when you were like, if there's a 13 on the back, you're like, it's a banner statement. I'm like, that would actually be badass. <laughs> like, they do I, look I, like banners. I'm like, do. I do get that, but then when it's not that, I'm like, uh, mm. like the I short, like them. The shorts are cool. Like, I do like those, like uh, like the Ville on the side and stuff like that. I just, it's like the two-tone box for me, like yeah, I just, but why not get unique just, for a, a jersey you're never going to wear again? Bad. No, no, yeah, I'm yeah. not hating. I'm just saying, you know, it's unorthodox. But it doesn't, yeah. It, I mean, it's freaking Louisville Live. Like, who cares? It's it's literally the city's pep rally for their favorite college basketball. Right. Team. Might as well just get a little, you know, flamboyant about it. So might as well wear some crazy jerseys and do some crazy stuff that's gonna ultimately get recruits, which we want to get into. Um, it's just great when grown men get that upset about like, oh, these are terrible, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> What's the other team going to think about it? Oh, wait, no. It's yeah, exactly. just for exactly. us. Okay. Yeah, not going to be on TV. Well, I was like, if that makes or breaks a kid's yeah. decision to come here, like if you're recruiting, <laughs> well, you know, the jersey seemed a little weird. So I Wonder, just, Do you know if it's going to be on the ACC network? It seems like the perfect y- thing for I the keep, ACC I network. I keep hearing it. it it's, it's not going to be on the... Cable ACC. Oh, so it's going to be ACC Network Extra. Extra, right, yes. So that's, I, that's I heard what it's going to be online. I had to go through the whole thing yeah. of explaining my, explaining my mom a couple right. weeks ago. ACC Network Extra. See, see, it, it's confusing because it says ACC NE, which just sounds like they're abbreviating network. It's confusing because we get confused, and we're in our 20s trying to explain the same thing to our to parents. To our parents, right. And I don't even fully get it because... Yeah. It's yeah, the way of the just, future. We're streaming all the games he's now. Like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know what it means. And then just I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna end up getting rid of cable and still spending more money because I'm gonna have to get the Disney subscription. I'm gonna have to get the the NBC subscription. Oh, who? And I'm gonna have to. Be, I, mean, I didn't realize someone who's putting gun to your head for for something no, no, for streaming service. We're not gonna have to do it, but I've gotten like okay. At, at the end of this year, The Office, yeah, and no, Parks and Rec are both going off of Netflix, which completely ruins my. Evening viewing because it's the perfect just mindless like in the background stuff to have on like I know what happens on the office like I've seen right. Michael Scott stick his finger through his pant zipper hole a hundred times. Maybe this is like life's way of telling you to that like, I just need to try new shows. No, because then I have, take to, a have to pay attention. Like I work like fifty sixty hours a week and I write pretty much the rest of the time. So I just you have just told me mindless. off air you watched a three hour movie on Netflix nah, yeah, about Bill Gates in his mind. Don't if you have tell me you ha- you don't have time. Inside Bill's Brain if you haven't checked it out. Whatever the totally movie's called. should. Okay. Yeah, because I, I like watching <laughs> like that's a pro- productiv- productivity thing. Yeah, now, absolutely. I took stuff away from that like what the heck's Bill Gates doing? This is the only documentary ever following him around. It's kind of like a Bill Gates infomercial but I love Bill Gates. I will so. say this. We 
we invested at the beginning of the last season of Game of Thrones, we invested into HBO Now. Right, and mm-hmm. I know it's like one of the most expensive, like premium streaming yes, things. Is, and that's like, why I think I it's like fifteen it. bucks. But every show, and I don't even, you know, half the shows I don't even really like, like plot lines or anything. Like, like I don't even care. And I'll still watch some of them because she likes them. But every single show they do, like, is just so well done. Mm-hmm. The actors, the cinematography, like the like everything about it just seems more professional. It's it's literally movie like they're they're movies but they're shows. Right. So of. like I I I've kind of figured out. I'm like, all right, I am paying more for this, but the shows are kind of more. You know, the sh- yeah, like you're, you're getting better. You're, you're getting justifying what you pay for. it to yourself. Exactly. In a day and age where we go to the movies and spend fifteen dollars to sit in a movie theater for two hours. I can just right. I can see you justifying paying fifteen dollars a month for. I mean, you're gonna spend that going to the movies or getting a drink at the bar. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's just all about how you spend your money. But, anyways, um, ACC Network Extra is is what I'm being told. Yeah. Um, by Taylor inside sources. Taylor Brooks, I believe. Taylor Brooks yep. is the host. We know that. Um, a lot of the insiders and people in the know have been hinting at some some special guest. Any guesses yeah, this who I don't the special get. guest could be? I was really hoping uh, somebody had this theory I saw online about um, obviously like I, w- I was I would hope like Russ would be there. I don't know if the... Russ is going to be there. I okay. saw he, he confirmed on Instagram. I didn't know if the professional season like overseas started yet. I know... No, he'll, he'll be there because he's been he's been in town for a while. He's right. he's doing a bunch of business stuff. Yeah. Uh, shout out Russ Smith if you're listening. Yeah, he's been talking um, about opening up a... a like sports bar or club or yeah he wants to open like, up like I'm a all casino for type sports bar type thing Russ whatever you want to open just in the Jack Harlow music video I don't you. know if you know, I don't know if you noticed that oh absolutely Russ Smith with the, yeah. in the, oh, well, sorry, that, sorry. So, no no I'm saying like that so that was the the one fan theory was like Russ is gonna be there Russ is best friends with Jack Harlow Jack Harlow just released an album Jack Harlow might be there and then people that's, realize that's like, the one guy he had a tour who, date up, oh he has a tour date that I think day? he's up in Philly Friday night. So nah. I mean, yeah, you you can't. That's the one guy. When you start that a tour, man, he his he's he's the hot name right now. It's I'd rather like, I'd rather him keep blowing up nationally, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and but, then maybe like next year and a couple of years when he's like a like a legit household name, mm-hmm. then come back and really kick it off. Any like, other, that would be awesome. Any other guesses about celebrity appearances? I, I think a lot of former players are gonna be there. Like obviously, Luke Hancock's gonna be like there. Somebody, that's um, the thing. People are like, well, maybe Ethan Sproles is gonna be there. They're like, oh. Well, of course, Ethan Sprouls. I'm I sorry. Just, I just want to learn recently. It's Ethan Sprouls. So. I just want him. I just want to get an autograph. Honestly, like <laughs> the the head of the villains. I mean, he's literally in half of Louisville basketball's promotional videos because he's just in the crowd every time, right up front. Right. More, more recent. I, I, go, I don't go know. Ahead, I'm sorry. I just yeah. don't know. Like I've heard, like what if Bill Murray go? I'm like I'm thinking, I'm trying to think in terms of like if I'm 17 or 18, if I'm a four and five star recruit, right. if I'm trying to get wined and dined, like what would actually make my eyes and ears perk up? Maybe. On top of like everything you've already heard about last year and so like you Bri- know, meeting the team. And the Bryson Tiller and comes to mind for me. Okay, yeah. Um, How? Okay, so I know he's coming out with an album, and soon. I hope no one gets offended about this because I know he's played at the Yum Center and he's played at some really big places. Mm-hmm. I'm not as well versed in in depth in into the hip hop world as I used to be in college. Mm-hmm. How big of a name is he? Like, would he's pretty big. So would like the because kids, the recruits that are coming, like they would be like, oh, oh shit, like they would know. They'd Tiller. know Bryson Tiller. Okay, Bryson Tiller has just to put in perspective. Jack Harlow has four hundred fifty thousand followers on Instagram, which is a good number. Jeez. All right. How many do you think Bryson Tiller has? Uh, probably. Like 
I would say upwards of shooting towards a mil then, I guess, maybe? 5.1 million. 5 million? I don't think really? you understand. Trap I don't. Soul that's, was, that's the whole thing. I'm saying, like, educate me on that. That's, that that's Trap Soul was a big, big deal when it first came out. That's um, awesome. He had he had two or three songs on that album that were that were huge. Um, so I, I he's he's a big name. Every everybody knows Bryson Tiller. Okay, so he um, he could be a realistic option. Mm-hmm. I like that thing because honestly, my whole thing is I just want to make this as crazy as possible for the recruits because that's all it really comes down to. Like people are like, well, I want to see this. And blah, blah. I don't care what the fans want. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Like, I don't give a crap what I want. It's because like it's not about me. music. Yeah, we're Same there. Thing. We're there to literally be the cheerleaders to help the basketball team mm-hmm. land these dudes. Like that's that Pretty is much. what the mission is. And have a good time and well, have yeah, a good fan have experience. A, but absolutely. But we have zero recruits for 2020. So I'm saying. Are you freaking out about that? No, I'm just saying. Like people keep talking about like Louisville Live was was made for like the fans. No. No, I, it's I, it's the biggest recruiting tool that you could have. I disagree. Yeah, yeah, you had to you had to compare because we don't have like a midnight madness yet. We don't have like something crazy like that. So we had to make like Chris Mack physically just invented something that's like on the fly. We need yeah. something more. Like we have a of course coming from Xavier, like we have a we have a great football program now, football facilities, like all that stuff. That's cool. We can take them to games. Football recruits can come to basketball games. Like I love how they're feeding off each other in that regard. Sure. But yeah, I I do agree. Like if you want to land big time recruits, you gotta we gotta we gotta do cooler, bigger things. Mm-hmm. And and because once again, like we're we're not working in secrecy anymore. We have to be the hip new cool team. Uh to get on this bandwagon um, to really get this next class going. And I do think there's a lot of, you know, not necessarily like smashing the panic button yet, but I think people, it's fair to be a little, I guess, uncomfortable. Pessimistic. Pessim- not not uh, pessimistic, just a little uncomfortable. Because here's the thing. Like, uneasy. We weren't going to have a big class to begin with. So, like, every time, you know, a potential target comes off the board, people are like, oh, my gosh, like, we're left with, like, nobody. I'm like, well, we were really only going to take, like, three or four dudes to begin with, right? Yeah. And all you really need is is one of your signature four or five-star guys that you wanted from the get-go. Yeah. And, and then you can always have a couple complimentary pieces that are still really, really talented. Just like we're talking – we're about to talk about now, like, like Quinn Slezinski, like, he wasn't a – big name in that class because he was playing into red shirt and stuff and now you're hearing how well he's developed just in such a short amount of time like his body mm-hmm. his his play like the way he's uh his role like he just apparently has come in and fit and since day one and from the interview we heard with what, what are we talking about john Rost- rostein yeah with okay. the rostein interview i was about to say somebody else for some reason but with the rostein interview like it doesn't sound like Quinn's going to redshirt anymore because no. he's done so well. So, mm-hmm. one, I would say, yeah, maybe air a little caution because we've probably swung and missed on a few of the biggest names, which that's the thing. They're the biggest right. names. Like, you're not going to – I mean – You're it, not going to – yeah, you're not going to hit home runs every single time. Right. And so so here's the thing. I, I think that for people who are super uncomfortable with – the way the recruiting class sits, a lot of these big name schools, the ones who are getting the biggest name players, they're not getting commitments until much, much later on. Right. Um, they really go through the recruiting process. And if you look at schools that have commitments in the top 10 right now, so you have one for Duke, one for UK, one for USC, 
Uh, Cade Cunningham, the number two player in the country, is is pretty much a lock to go to uh, or, uh, Oklahoma State, excuse me. But then there's plenty of guys that are still on the board. Um, so you got two, three, five, seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve, uh, sixteen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty-one, twenty-two. So pretty much seventy-five percent of the top twenty-five players um, are nowhere close to to committing. Um, so, and, and that's the thing when when you're going to be going after these um, higher profile players, um, I, they just like to take longer. I think Louisville secured when they secured Samuel Williamson, he was a top seventy-five guy. Right. He crept his way up into the top thirty, top twenty-five. Right. Um, the same thing with with Aiden Gahan. He committed late. He was our last commitment, and that was and I want to say, oh gosh, that was that was later on, like during basketball season. So um, there, there's a lot, there's a lot that that can still happen, and that's why I don't, I wouldn't say that that you know I think you put earlier that they were bank, banking on Louisville Live. I, I'm not sure if that's the case. Well, I, in the sense that you know you've heard people give their opinion on did they wait too long to have the event? Did mm-hmm. you know just certain th- like are the, are they are they putting too much stock into just this one thing to bring this class together because the other thing like I, I think there was at least one commit that had already committed once little live happened last year right one there was of, one of josh nickelberry yeah okay so nickelberry had already signed up so at least like it, you started the process now right. that was probably even harder last year because you're coming off a scandal and no one even sure. knew what kind of class to expect sure. and then you just whop them with a you know top 10 top 11 whatever it is mm-hmm. So you have expectations this year, right? Louisville Live has expectations this year because, like you told me off off the pod, like that thing last year was essentially like put together within what two three weeks. Yeah, I mean they literally just said like we got to do something. They're really just and it hit it, hit home with this, right? And it went so quickly well. Quickly signed a two year contract for Louisville Live, like it right. was that it was that like quick. It, it went so well. They're like shit. We got to start hyping this up like immediately for next year. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I get it why they're saying it's going to be better because it will be. They're actually putting time, effort, money, resources into making this awesome. Right. But what if you don't hear any feedback for right? Um, and Sean, you know, one week, right. and week and a half. Two weeks. I think that's when people start really panicking because, like, you put so much hype and so much media into this little live, and then right. you might not hear. And of course, it's still going to take a couple weeks after. Like, kids aren't just going to like walk up in the middle no, of the court no. and be like, "Oh yeah, let's do it now!" Like, boom, let's commit. <laughs> yeah, like let's go. That would be amazing, but that's not how high-ranking recruits work. Mm-hmm. They they don't do that at all. They they're a different breed. So so yeah, like we're we're seeing. You know, we we follow the all the recruiting sites on latest crystal balls and stuff like that. And, and most of the time, like lately, a lot, even the professionals have been waffing on, they've on been, their, yeah, big on time their judgments. Yeah. Like you got one kid going to Wisconsin who was like, Oh, okay. Like no one knew that was going to happen. Right. And then, right. Yeah. So I know people are seeing a couple of their top targets, like starting to get crystal balled mm-hmm. elsewhere, but that doesn't mean anything because those kids that are crystal balled elsewhere are also coming to Louisville live. Right. As right. of now. Right. As of Tuesday night. So unless <laughs> something changes from when this gets published, I am sorry that that is just factual in our current time. All right. So so if we want to move past current recruiting in Louisville Live, uh, last question to close this out. Who do you think is the most likely 
to be the is most likely to be the first commitment. I don't know, man. Class. Oh, like you got if Jake, you, just, you got Jake on our podcast a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. saying what? Um, who was this guy? Cam Hayes, I think, is maybe somebody he said that might. I think it was like, somebody. It was somebody who committed to, to uh, somewhere else. That's I the believe thing. It, it was. Oh gosh, I think it was DJ Stewart okay. that he said that he was pretty confident that he could be the next commitment. That's the thing, man. Like ever, the one word from all these professionals I keep hearing over and over and over again is it's a fluid it's a fluid game right, right. now. Right. Well, and that's recruiting is a fluid thing. And I was like, okay, well then in that in that regard, I'm not going to freak out about other people's crystal balls. I'm not going to listen to all the noise around it. I want to see how well Louisville Live goes. I one thing I did this is going to sound really weird trying to explain it. But like one thing I did last year because last year at least we knew there's a singular focus on really trying to get Aiden Gahan to Louisville. Right. So you had like the Irish flags. Ethan was killing it with all the Irish stuff, like in the in the villain section. Well, not not Ethan. He wanted to. What? I don't know. He's it. Long story. He wasn't allowed to. But people oh. did have them. Yes. Okay. Well, that either, would be a recruiting whatever, violation. Whatever his idea was. Yes. Yeah, it worked. It was awesome. But the one thing I kept watching, I just kept watching Aiden to see his reaction to stuff. I right. I find it fascinating because, like like I said at the beginning on my little high horse, um, this really is for the recruits. Like, mm-hmm. the fans want to claim it as their own. That's great. That's fine. It's, it's going to be fun for the fans, no doubt. But this is to land elite recruits. Yep. That is what this is for. 100%. So I, I kind of want to watch them throughout the, you know, throughout the Louisville Live thing just to see – just to see their engagement, really. Mm-hmm. Like, do they really look like they're they're having a good time? Like, are they just trying to yeah. sit through it? Are they just trying to fake like they're having a good time? Like, do they already know they're going to somewhere else? And they're just like, all right. This right, is, they just want to have the experience. This is my last official, and I didn't have to pay for it, so this is cool. Yep. Appreciate I mean, all the love. Right, right. So I mean, here, here's the way I look at it. Louisville is in. They are finally entering the high-level recruiting realm. To be a part of that, you have to deal with the – you're going to swing and miss more often. When you're going after guys that are being recruited by um, middle-tier teams, you know, like you know, Big East teams and um, teams that traditionally get you know, 100 to 200 ranked players and wind up in a 25 to 35 area, that's what Louisville's been recruiting against for the last – um, five to ten years, and that's not going to change over in one season. Right, and and, like and that's that. what I'm that's what I'm saying. So, then yeah. you're seeing that they're recruiting more guys now. They're going, you know, they're they're trying to get more guys into the mix. But you know, when you have a Caleb Love, when you have a, a Davon Smith, when you have an Adam Miller, when you have Jay Scrub, Earl Timberlake, Josh Hall, um, Jamin Breakfield, like all these guys, they they're they're being courted by the, the top name programs the blue blue blood programs um so they're going to take longer they're going to take all their official visits um it's going to be a much harder decision for them and we're going to swing and miss on some of them so that's just stuff that you that we're going to have to become accustomed to um you know i I heard a lot of good stuff about jamin breakfield um at at first and it seems like he's cooled a little bit um we have heard a lot about um davon smith um, who I, I think that he's a guy. I, I, that's a guy who I, I have a hard time believing won't commit if Caleb Love ends up at North Carolina. Um, that that's that's my opinion on that. Again, I'm not 
um, right there on the situation. I would be shocked if Jay, Jay Scrub doesn't end up at Louisville. Um, I was just going over with the guys today the list of guys who have jumped straight from JUCO to the NBA just doesn't happen. Um, so he'd be an unprecedented, he, he, he'd be an unprecedented player. And, and the but guys, there's, that, a, there's a lot of stuff nowadays that doesn't traditionally happen. No, like, oh, like yeah, g- kids I'm, are literally like finding their own way now. Like who's the, the one five-star guy that ended and, up, it ended up going to Australia, I think to play a year there. Oh gosh. I don't even know. Just but, a, it was somewhere overseas, and, like instead of going to Duke or, or wherever, he's like, no, he's like, I'd rather get paid now. I don't really care about college. There, and so he's going to get paid his first year, what effectively would be his freshman year of college, and right. he can go straight to the NBA now. So, yeah, like even if he wasn't trying to go straight from JUCO to, to, to the NBA, if he doesn't want to go to school, he doesn't want to go to school. Right. Like, that's and, the thing. Like I, I get it because I'm optimistic that Louisville probably is like his – only or just secretly like only college he probably would it, attend. It is. I, but I the think, thing is though is that we're not even competing against a college. We're competing against your future and mm-hmm, finances and right. a lot of money. It's a completely different process. I, I totally agree. But right. And um, I think I think I saw I, I texted you guys earlier uh this morning that currently, like as of Tuesday night, mm-hmm. uh currently I think Scrub is like at 35 in the pre-draft projections. Yeah, he's right he's now. projected so, right at the end of the first round or or beginning of the second round. So that's the thing, man. Like, it, like it's so tough because I understand like Jordan didn't want to take that chance. I don't blame him because I think he's a first round talent if he just gets a couple things tweaked up. Right. Um. But yeah, like if this kid, if this kid doesn't want to go to college, like I, what are you gonna do? And uh, you know? again, and it'd the be... other thing is you can't really wait for him, like because. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can, but like, we're only trying to sign three, four guys. I don't think Mac is no, going to be able to I, wait I don't that think, long. I don't think Louisville's going to wait around for him. Right, exactly. You know, I, I think that if, Which if they can get... might make his decision even easier. If but. you can get a four or five star point guard or a combo guard to commit, you're, you're going to take that. Yeah. Because that's that's it's a guy safe, that, yeah, yeah it's, it's a safe play. Um, But yeah, I mean, j- just to kind of close this out, I do think that Jay Scrub will end up at Louisville. I think that it's going to be a long... Um, strenuous process, but I think it's going to be something that's ultimately beneficial. Um, I think they're really going hard after the guards. I'm still interested. I think the jury's still out on Caleb Love. I think that the fact that he went to North Carolina and didn't leave committing, I think that's a big deal. Um, And It's it's going to be a big deal between now and Friday, man, because there's already multiple crystal balls for him to go to UNC. There's always, Mm -hmm. there's all all this smoke about him having such a great visit, which I, I don't doubt it. Not that anybody has a bad visit to like a blue blood basketball right. school, but but if we can make it to Friday, if he can make it to Friday evening, yeah, and just get him on campus and just get him on campus without already verbally committing somewhere else, UNC is going to be scared. I, I guarantee you, when we found out, uh, UNC staff was also there, like I think around the same day or like right after or right before Mac mm-hmm. visited him. Yeah, dude. They don't want them. They these other blue blood programs. They don't want these kids going to Louisville Live. Like that's why they made. No, that's right. why they made what DJ Stewart, I think, or whoever just committed to Duke. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, it's DJ Stewart. Yeah, yeah, like they they basically gave him an ultimatum. Yeah, they're like commit or like, else. It's wild, man. Yeah. Like they're yeah. and they're, they're kind of like they're like we really Duke. don't want you to go to Louisville yeah. because like if you like it, shit. Like what are we gonna do? So right. It's going to be interesting to see between now and Friday if there's any major 
any major updates with who we're supposed to have on campus. Right, right. So to, to wrap up the basketball segment before we move on to Keith Wynn, um, I want to discuss just briefly um, the interview with John Rothstein. Uh, Rothstein had Chris Mack on his podcast um, earlier this week, um, and it was very informative. Um, the big thing that we learned, Malik Williams is out for six to eight weeks, which means that he will likely miss um, the rest of the preseason and potentially um, a couple of games to start the season. Sounds like he's got a, a mild fracture, I believe. So um, we, you know, all the best wishes to Malik Williams. That being said, you feel blank about Malik Williams' injury. I feel great that Chris Mack just told all the kids, hey, get your injuries out over summer <laughs> and not during right. the actual season. I think that's really smart coaching move by him. I, I see. So, uh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think for me, it's I didn't freak out. I don't know why some people were like, oh, my God, this is the end. I was like, do the math, man. It happens. It's literally like the first week of yeah. of it, the season. It like, happens. When when you have a group that's going to be as strong as Louisville's front court, when you have Malik Williams, when you have Stephen Enoch, and then you add in Aiden Gahan, those practices are going to be physical. And like, guys are going to get hurt. People, I think I – think People need to be more cautious of like the big guys just racking up fouls at the beginning of the year because of how hardcore. Oh, the they're gonna be going. Been. Yeah. Because if you think about it, all these dudes are banging up on each other during practice, but like, there's never foul called. There's there's never there's never like a ref who's like managing this. Right. right. Oh yeah, I, so I guarantee like, you, there's been some kerfuffles. Oh, I'm sure. So like, when you get to the in a real game with a real ref and Enoch, you know. Mr. Foul Magnet, like, you know, start racking them. I think this is just a good opportunity for uh, for maybe Aiden, you know, like somebody else to really come in because we're all super-duper excited to see what Malik Williams has transformed into. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only just his mentality as a captain, but his 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 body type. Work ethic. Got, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I'm, I'm just excited to see him truly, completely come together this year. I'm really excited for him. And if this is just, you know, the main thing he has to get over, you know, like, let's pray this is the only main injury. Yeah, um, I mean, you, you have you have him and then you had uh, David Johnson get hurt. Right. Break, and break and he's already ahead of schedule from what I heard from the, right. uh, from the so, Rothstein And that, that was so, the other big injury news that we got, that David Johnson was progressing. Right. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. It was uh, – so, so we've really had three injuries. David Johnson – um, was Nickel, was Nickelberry. the was the shoulder injury? Mm-hmm. Nickelberry had the hand injury. Yeah. Um, it sounds all, like all those guys will be returning within right. the first few games of the season. Yeah. But um, this might sound weird, but I, but I love it. Like I, I love hearing about about the injuries. Not not because it's um you know obviously you don't want anybody pain. to get hurt. No, it, it's not that. I, I like that. Um, I like the having to overcome. I like I like the fact that it's gonna be tough the start of the season. Like I like the fact that. They're gonna have to overcome some controversy. I, I like the fact that um, they're gonna have to dip into their th- into their depth early on. Um, I think all that does is, is just build more cohesiveness within the team. Right. Um, you know, you, you you don't want you don't want injuries like that happening towards the end of the season. But no, but um, but as the front part of the schedule plays out, Miami's really the only like team, like you said, they could that has the potential to really like push us in the first like eight to ten games yeah and yeah. i mean that's your very first game it's mm-hmm. away it's it's an acc game which is nuts um right so yeah i mean like if they can get over just that literal first game 
I think, yeah, it's nothing but good because like Aiden does need real game experience. Right. And I'd much rather give him that at the beginning of the year than like really good teams at the end. Yep. Um, absolutely. So like, he's, I think it's kind of along the lines of the football right now with Satterfield wanting to get his because he basically said that's how you build depth is is through actual legitimate like guys playing in games. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm pumped because we have a deep we have a deep roster, but you know a lot of half these kids haven't haven't played a college basketball game yet. So much rather get them get those college first game jitters out of the way, whatever it may be. Right. Uh, that way, like you said. Because once that once that team gels, man, it's gonna be wild. I'm I'm could not be more excited about um, the basketball season. We don't want to skip through football, um, but you know it, it's hard not to look ahead to the the potential and what could be out there this basketball season. Um, other 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 things of note from that interview, um, I took down a few things. The big thing that Rothstein wanted to talk about, obviously, was Jordan Wara. Um, again, having a great off season. Um, a couple things that Max said about Wara was the obvious stuff that we already know. He needs to improve on defense, but he wants him to be um, more cognizant with the ball. That was a big thing that, that yeah. he talked about was he really wanted him to be um, improving in, in the ball handling and decision-making area, and he wants him to be more aggressive. Um, he he wants him to, again, it's the, it's the same thing with being more, more decisive, um, but I, I think that Oftentimes when Louisville struggled last year, it's because teams, you know, would shade out to Wara, um, and he would just be kind of forced into taking a lot of long-range shots. Um, he's a really good player going to the bucket, um, and he has to be the type of guy that can play off of a fresh Kimball, that can play off of Samuel Williamson, that can play off of Dwayne Sutton, um, and kind of utilize other guys that can make plays being out on the court, mm-hmm. and then just kind of, you know get to the bucket a little bit more. I mean, he, he's a guy that I, I think that I think that he wants to develop a reputation for not just being a shooter, but being an all around player. I mean, I, I think that if he does that, he's a lottery pick. Yeah. I agree. Um, so I, I think those are the things that, that Mac is kind of hinting at going into the season. And I think that another year of playing for that Nigerian national team, which congratulations to them, they qualified for the Olympics, which is awesome. Right. The Olympics. Yeah. They qualified yeah. for the Olympics. Um, so that's, that is a huge deal. Um, it's also a huge deal that he was starting getting significant minutes and playing really well with a bunch of current and former, um, professional basketball players. So big deal to me. Other things of note, fresh Kimball, um, has a small, smaller learning curve. He was, you know, raving about Kimball's ability to pick up the system. Um, he said that Kimball is everything the staff could ask for and more, um, other things that he got into as far as new players, um, he, he mentioned Josh Nickelberry a lot, talking about his athleticism. A big one that, that's been a big topic of discussion today is Quinn Slizinski. Um, when just prompted to ask about the, the when prompted about the freshman, um, Slizinski was a guy that um, Mac was really high on, um, which is really interesting to me. Um, a lot of people are comparing him to like a Luke Hancock type. I don't. I don't really see that. Like, I see that he's a he's a really good shooter, but he has he has potential to be um, not only a starter but a, but a game changer for Louisville in two to three years. Yeah, uh, I think it's awesome, man. Like, I was pumped to have him even down the road. So the fact right. he's already ahead of schedule, right? Uh, I, th- I I think it's gonna be legit because just, I I don't think a lot of fans like only a minuscule amount of fans can make it into that free open gym. Right, that they have on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I do think when a majority of the fans actually see Quinn's game and how he plays and why people talk the way they do about him and why Chris Mack is so high on him, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised and be like, wow, okay, so we, so once again, we can evaluate talent and find some kids that actually fit his system and that are going to be mm-hmm. legit for him specifically. Right. Him uh, being Mac. But Last thing that um, I wanted to kind of bring up was that Rothstein had um, his, his kind of like final question for Mac was, this team could become Louisville's best team ever, or specifically – not Louisville's best team, excuse me. Max best Max team ever. Best team, yeah. Because blank. You remember what what Max said? I do. I'm about to ace this quiz. What did he say? I believe he said a healthy team. No, he said versatility. Damn it. Okay. He said this could be his his best team ever because of their versatility. Okay, as long um, as they're all healthy. Right. So, so I, was, I was partially right. Give me like thirty percent credit. On as long 30. as they're all healthy. Yeah. But <laughs> and no, versatile. You're right because like. Versatile. You could have a crazy lineup of just big dudes. Just make them all big. Right. Doesn't matter. Like David Johnson's tall. <laughs> He's gonna be a legit tall. Po- like you could basically have every single. Sorry, brother Blake's in the building now. Um, yeah, you could have a big lineup. You could have a small lineup. You could have a mm-hmm. mixed lineup. Like he can cater this basketball team to play virtually any other college team right. based on that other you team. You could you could play small too. You could have like a Harlem Five. You could do like a. Like a Josh Nickelberry, um, David Johnson, Ryan McMahon. Yeah, like and that's like why you could just you that's could why, mix it up all all sorts of ways. Right, and, that's why like so many national even pundits are saying like Louisville's not good because they have a mixture of like young guys and old guys. They're good because we have a mixture of that, but their physical size as well. Mm-hmm. Like we can be really really imposing. Uh, I I'm gonna say. I was trying to think of a word that, to better describe um, why they could be good, but I, I think the depth is just such a big thing. Like, I, I think that that was the one thing that they were missing last year. You know, when you have a guy like Dwayne Sutton who plays as hard as he does, you could totally use him for like 22 minutes a game and just have him just go balls to the wall for just 20 minutes a game. Um, you know, that there's guys like you know Kristen Cunningham played some games pretty much start to finish. Same with Jordan War last year. You're not going to have that this year, in in my opinion. Um, you know, we talked about the the depth with the bigs. Stephen Enoch could be a guy that just plays like 12 to 15 minutes a year or a, a game and still be drafted this year. Like, I want to pat myself on the back a little bit because I think one of the first podcasts over summer, I mentioned that I think this team, how you make a championship team, right? You you speed up the learning curve of the younger guys. And I told you a long time ago, I was like, how do you do that? Kids have to be under Mac for at least like a season to understand Mm -hmm. him, his practices, his work ethic, the way he wants things done. And now that's being passed down a little bit. And now they're projecting that on the young guys. He literally said that in the interview. He's like, I don't have to be the only one yelling, like, do this, do that. This is the way this is done. He's like, the older guys are finally taking it upon themselves say no 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 this is how coach wants it done mm-hmm. like you need to do it this way mac doesn't have to say a word anymore nope. like that is huge team accountability is massive it is crazy like chris mac doesn't have to teach them nearly as much in terms of like just how he wants things done right now you can just focus on the x's and o's because your team from last year can basically coach your team like your new guys from this year right in those like off practice things right um, like we'll- it's awesome Exactly. I'm excited. So 
we are pumped about the basketball season. Um, but what's still on most of your all's minds is Butchertown Pizza Hall closing. Besides Butchertown Pizza Hall closing, Sorry. that's devastating news. That that's on my mind. Um, but maybe what's more prevalent on the listeners' mind could potentially be football. Um, on the other side, we're gonna have Keith Wynn, local resident football expert from the Car Chronicle. Stay tuned. Yo, what up, Jack? I'm glad to see you on the radio, man. Yo, putting Louisville on the map, dude. You know the vibes, Patrick? Thanks for calling in. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hey, we got to get that boy in some cat gear, though, occasionally. What'd you say? We got to get that boy in some cat gear, out of the Louisville gear, into the, into the Lexington cat gear. Yo, cut this shit off. No. Louisville fans. What do you say? <laughs> no, he wants to put me in some Kentucky gear, yo. Oh, that's what he said? Yeah, I'm a okay. Louisville fan. Damn, he's just on the all right, well, it's that time again, Alex, to talk a little uh, football. Um, we Let's have one it. of our reoccurring guests back on with us, Keith Wynn from Card Chronicle. How are you, Keith? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. We're a bit um, kind of concerned about emotionally uh, how to handle this this loss against Florida State. Uh, I think that um, we've had about 72 hours now to kind of um, digest kind of what happened. There was a lot, there's lots of really low lows and lots of really high highs in, in this game and yeah. a little bit of in between. Um, so 72 hours later, um, are you leaning more on the side of positive or negative takeaways from this game? You know, I think it, there's a lot of positives to take away from it. You know, I I, I went into it not really uh, feeling like they were going to get out. You know, it'll, it'll be an upset if they win. I think Florida State um, was a little bit underrated, in my opinion. You know, they played a pretty decent schedule. The ULM game was just completely weird. Uh, and, I, you know, I feel like that one just – they just snowballed once they started going downhill. Right. Uh, I felt like the other two games they actually played fairly well against – good teams so and then the Virginia game was the one that really was like hey they played well in that game and Virginia's right. just a better team so I think you know going into the game having them get down early uh, and then Louisville bouncing back like they did I think that's a huge positive uh, that's something to build on and it shows that things are going in a positive direction with the program because this would have been a blowout last year and, and I think everybody saw that coming in the first quarter uh, and then they kind of put turn it on towards the end of the second quarter, and and really had a great third quarter. So I think it's, there, there's there's a lot of positives. Florida State's a good team; they're not great or anything like that, but they're I think they're better than what they seem to be on paper. Right. And speaking of positives, I just want to let you know from a personal note, me and Presley are actually sipping bourbon right now. So you have made an impression <laughs> on us coming on every week. Because I was like, we can't be interviewing Keith. Well, he just sips bourbon, and we're always on beer. Like that just seems him, like a mismatch of a relationship. You can't bring Bud Light Orange to my house anymore. Can no longer exactly. stock that in my fridge. That was a one-time <laughs> thing that I will never do again. But so talking about, I guess the positives and negatives. I mean, it was kind of a, I think a shock to a lot of fans that you know they just Florida State jumped out as quick as it did. I think you know everyone kind of said this is what they do. Just you know, just kind of wait for the things for the wheels to go off the track and whatnot. But from the film you've already broken down, right? And I think we were talking, and you said you're you've got about like a half uh, half of it about done from your review. But wh what are some of the things, just even like in the first quarter? Because I mean, everyone saw just 
such a meltdown instantly. And and it's awesome that we had to come that we came back, but the fact that we had to come back from 21 points almost instantly would seem like um, you know, gave people a lot of pause. So I, I just want to hear from you, somebody that actually analyzes all the film. Uh, what what are some of the specific things, maybe on like offense or defense, that that kind of allowed that quick start? Well, I think on offense they really struggled with the defensive line. Uh, Florida State's got Marvin Wilson, a former five star, you know, number one D tackle in the country, and right. I mean he's he's going to be a first round NFL draft pick. He played like that at that level. Ended up with ten tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, two right. sacks. I mean, and you you even called the interior defensive linemen the whole week. You were telling people like these guys are going to be problems and they're going to cause some chaos. Yeah, they're, and they're, then they both show up on the you know they both show up on the ACC defensive player of the week scores or whatever it is. But but yeah, I mean like you already saw that, so you already knew some of the some of the issues that could potentially arise. But yeah. Um, it was just kind of – I knew it was going to be a challenge, but I did not think that it was going to be, like, that bad that quick. Well, I think that, you know, they just – the offensive line is still a work in progress. I think they're still uh, – you know, they're, they're going to be steps that have to be taken forward over the next few years to get to where they need to be. You know, I think they're improved. I, I don't think anybody would question that. But I think that maybe uh, how well they had played – kind of made people think that, oh, they'll be fine. And it's like, well, they're still playing against really good guys that are going to be NFL guys. And and when you start getting in that level of competition, it's just, you know, it's just different. You know, when they play Clemson, it's going to be different also. they got NFL guys on the line. So when you when you get in those situations, it, it, that's I think that's what they ran into. And I think it shot them just as much as it shot us. Because I think the line feels confident. I feel like they, they, they're feeling like they played well. And then they run in these guys that are just massive guys that run like linebackers. I mean, those guys are fast. So one of the things that I think some folks were – I've heard people mention is why did they try to go outside more, do more misdirection? Well, those guys will run down those plays. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're just dealing with these big 330-pound fat guys out there. These are 300, 310-pound guys that run like they're 240 pounds. So I think that really hurt them, and I think that made it hard for them to figure out what type of play calls they can run because when they tried to go outside, those guys were still making plays. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, the defensive line didn't really start out too well either. Uh, and Florida State's offensive line isn't very good. They're very passive, but they kind of came out and punched a little in the mouth. Uh, you had some guys getting pushed around, getting blown off the ball, and that allowed Cam Akers a little bit of space. And Cam Akers doesn't need a lot of space, anything. He's, right. he's the most physical guy in the country, in my opinion. And he doesn't really need you to do much other than, hey, give me a little bit of space and I'll make something work. He can make guys miss and he can run through tackles. And that's what we kind of saw. Uh, and then the passing game, there were just a lot of – still some things I'm trying to figure out. Like some, the, the alignment was different. Roger Burns was lined up inside instead of being outside like he normally is. You know, So you got three middle linebackers and a spot receiver, and they're just standing up and throwing them the ball. So a lot of that stuff kind of happened early. I think that they made some adjustments as the game went on. But the Florida State didn't really see a lot of resistance from a from Louisville's defense to get to that twenty one point lead, and that was where that was kind of concerning. But it seems like they kind of figured it out as the game went on. Well, and it was it was almost like a like a micro. Well, it it almost seemed like the opening drive of Notre Dame was like a mi- microcosm of like what you saw in the first quarter of the Florida State, to where like they just moved the ball at will, and then the defense eventually you know like woke up and actually started competing alongside them. Uh, but in my mind, you know, when you when you talk about how quickly they got off 
to a hot start and whatnot. What are some of the things like you just said? Like we couldn't run it to the outside because they would they would run that down. We couldn't run it up the middle because you have those interior defensive linemen that are just killing it. So what kind of changed? Because uh, obviously, like you said, like Louisville really started getting some momentum in the second and third quarter, uh, especially in the run game. Um, so what were some of the differences that that allowed us to really like break open some some solid runs? Uh, you know, later on in the game. Well, I think they I think they wore them down a bit. Uh, in the third quarter, you start to see you start to see Florida State guys hands on their hips. Uh, you know, after a tackle's made, no one's really coming over to congratulate everybody's trying to just kind of walking back to their area. You you could see that that kind of it wasn't demoralizing, but it was more just fatigue. Uh, so I think that's when the run game opened up. But I think late in the second quarter, they started opening up the passing game a little bit. They took a shot downfield to Justin Marshall. They had a throwback pass to Jordan Davis. Right. Uh, they were getting the ball outside to Des Fitzpatrick on some shorter things. So once they started doing that, I think that Florida State had to respect that a little bit more. Um, and then you, you saw linebackers not necessarily just expecting run every play. And that, that really helped out a lot because that, that loosened things up. And that also helped in the third quarter because those guys weren't just, just reading run, run, run. Uh, because even when Marvin Wilson and those guys were making plays with, at the defensive line, they weren't always making the tackle, but they were just creating havoc with the offensive line, and that allowed those second-level guys just come up and make make the stop after one or two yards. And that's what you want out of your defensive line. In the third quarter, you saw them kind of those linebackers backing off a little bit. They had to respect the pass, and I think that that helped. So once they start opening up the passing game, I think that helped some things on the offense, uh, and that's where we saw them get a little bit more success. Yeah, and you, you you mentioned Malik Cunningham in the passing game. Um, what really kind of struck me um, was was the 17 rushes for five yards, and then the the six sacks that that Cunningham took. Um, I thought there was a lot of um, looked like a lot of trepidation with within the entire offense in the first half. Um, do you think there was it was more? Um, Louisville by design was 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 you know telling Cunningham if it's not there then then just go ahead and take off or do you think that it's more of a he, there's a learning curve with Cunningham more so maybe than pass um, whereas he isn't going through his progressions as much um, and, and not getting not getting a chance to to really hit the receivers downfield. Well, I think it was kind of it was kind of funny early in the game. Malik was just he wasn't looking for open guys. It was, hey, my first reason out there, I'm just going to tuck it and run. Right. Uh, I think as the game went on, he got better with that, uh, and he was more decisive. And they also called some plays. That, you know, some of those short routes to Dez outside, that's the type of stuff, just kind of get Malik comfortable and then just make it an easy throw on him. And, and it also gets you four or five yards. And, and if you're only running for two yards a, a carry, four or five yards on the first down is a, is a plus. Absolutely. So I think they started to get those things going. And then later in the game, towards the end of the game, when – when the, the when the lead slipped away, you saw Malik revert back to that first quarter of Malik where, you know, if it wasn't there, if you didn't feel it was there immediately, I've got to take it and run. So, uh, you know, I've gotten through the first handful of sacks so far, and they're all on Malik so far. So that's a problem that can't really continue. And, and Satterfield's talked about this a lot. They're not good enough to be to work out of being behind the chains, uh, and they're not. They don't have the pass. They don't have the pass protection. Uh, there yet they don't have the quarterback play yet and then even from a receiver standpoint they're they're still struggling to get open a lot of times so that's not good you know those third and longs don't really 
sport and he puts them in those situations a lot. Um, and he's got a, it's just a, it's an ongoing uh, concern that they've got to figure out how to fix. And I'm not sure how to do that other than just reps and reps and reps. And eventually maybe he'll grow out of it. And to kind of follow up with that as well, um, player specific, you know, we heard Scott Satterfield talk a lot about um, in the last two or three weeks that, you know, they were eventually going to get the ball to, to Seth Dawkins and Des Fitzpatrick. Um, we saw Dawkins had a play where he was would have it would have been a would be touchdown um, late, later I believe in the third quarter, um, but there was pass interference on the play. Obviously, Des Fitzpatrick was a yard short of, of his career high. Um, to me, it appeared that there is definitely a concerted effort to get Fitzpatrick the ball um, more than the first three games. Was that what you saw in your eyes as well, or is it more what Florida State was allowing on defense? Oh no, I think it, I think it was an effort. I think they wanted to work outside the hashes. Um, you know, Florida State's cornerbacks are a little bit smaller. They haven't really done anything overwhelmingly great so far this year. Uh, it's kind of what I expected them, and and what we saw a little bit last week with Western Kentucky's corners just getting burnt in Week One. You know, you saw them kind of get some ball, get some passes out there, and and try to work Seth Dawkins into the game last week. I think it was the same thing this week with Des, you know, and, and 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 it was getting the ball out to him quickly on these short routes and let him work a little bit. You know, he made some plays after the catch to gain a couple extra yards, uh, so that's obviously a huge plus. And then the big throw down the field, I, you know, I, I hate to be to sound dramatic, but I think that's a changing moment for this offense. Mm-hmm. I think that what Scott Satterfield is going to see there is that hey, I can take some shots down the field with my receivers that don't necessarily separate all that well because they, they know they have body control. They know how to work the angles. Des Fitzpatrick has unbelievable body control and, and, and ball skills. I mean, that catch was unbelievable, and, but that's what he can do every time. He's not going to be five yards past a, a guy running down the field. He doesn't have that kind of speed, but he knows how to run his routes and work his body to create that space where he's the only guy that's going to catch the ball. And I think that's something, being able to see that, I think we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see more throws down the field to Des and Seth and not just Tutu. So I think that that could be a huge part of what we see going forward. In talking about the passing game, um, you know, not even specifically ours, so this might be a little more painful. But for a split second, I was a little hopeful um, knowing Hornybrook had to finish the game, and then I was not hopeful once he just started wrecking our secondary with, I think, what, like 255 yards and – 18 touchdowns, whatever it may be. Um, knowing what we know now, four games in, uh, Brian Brown's defense obviously is known to be predicated on turnovers, interceptions. You know, we kind of hyped that up in the preseason, just looking at his defense from the App State side. Are some of these issues you're seeing on the defensive, especially on the passing D, are these issues that you think could be? you know, corrected this season, or is this a little bit more of a deeper shift, like a, like a long-term change that, that is just going to take, you know, one or two seasons to really get the defense understanding how he wants them to play? You know, I, I, I kind of struggle with it. I, I think that, um, I think it's, I think it's, here's the thing, you know, against, against Notre Dame, I think they did some good things and you can see, that Ian Book struggled to find open guys. Right. And I think that's what the defense is really all about, keeping things in front of them and, and, and kind of confusing guys and making it hard on the quarterback. Uh, and, and the pass was got to him a few times, and that was great. 
I think against Western Kentucky, it seemed a lot worse because they completed a lot of passes, but they still only completed 50, what, 52 failure passes and 2.8 yards per attempt or something like that. I mean, it's, that's a good game. You know, the amount of completions, if you throw the ball 50 times, you're going to have a lot of completions. That's just the way it is. Um, so Florida State, I mean, James Blackman was completing almost 70% of his passes coming into that game against good defenses. Uh, so it's really about how they, they spread things out they have that balanced offense where they can run and pass. I, I, I tend to – I don't want to say I'm going to throw this game away, but I don't think it's really indicative of how the defense is going to play for the whole season. Right. I think we'll see a much improved pass defense against Boston College with Anthony Brown being a little bit you know, more inaccurate and less, less decisive. I think there will be some games. Obviously, Clemson is going to be a game where, yeah, I don't really see them doing well against Clemson's pass offense, but – I think overall with the schedule, I think we're going to see an improved defense, partially because I think that he's going to start letting these guys or really demanding these guys start playing the ball more. You're seeing some of that timid defense that we saw for the last two years with that timid, well, those timid coordinators we had. And I don't think these guys have really understood it. I don't think Brian Brown will care if you jump around and, hey, you, you maybe miss the ball and we give a big, big, a big play. Well, you, you did, you know, he wants that aggression. That's how they played it at State. That's why you see all those interceptions they had, and, and, and they we just haven't seen that. And I'm not really sure why. I don't know if it's just the guys, you know, don't want to make a mistake, but you see a lot of guys backing out of coverage, even though they're already starting off seven yards off the ball, and that's not really – that's not what I saw at App State. You see those guys sit and, and let the receiver eat up that cushion – and they're reading routes, and they're jumping those slant routes, those stop routes, all that stuff got taken away. And we're seeing teams just exploit that over and over again. So I, I feel like maybe with the bye week, there's going to be a focus on, hey, guys, you can't – don't worry so much about guys getting behind you because our pass rush will get there. You know, and that, that's really – it's about that. If you're letting guys get behind you, I mean, the pass rush isn't there. The mm-hmm. pass rush has been pretty good. So I'm, my hope is that we see a vast change there in the BC game, but I'm not sure why that really hasn't translated so far. Well, and that, that was the big question. Even we were kind of discussing amongst ourselves was, is this a bigger issue in terms of like the secondary and schemes, or was this more Florida state and just their crazy up-tempo offense? Because obviously I don't think our defense had, had, had played against an offense trying to move that fast. And then it actually worked. You know, I mean, they, they did seem like they were way more reactive than than proactive in terms of aggression like you were just talking about. But, but yeah, so that that's kind of one of my thoughts is, is obviously, you know, I want to think positively in that, you know, what Brian Brown's showing them, like you just said, like maybe it's just more of a mentality thing uh, to where every, every game you're seeing them a little bit better in position, a little bit better angles to make tackles and interceptions, but they're just not having the aggression behind it. Uh, which is probably the last, you know, one of the main pieces of, of Brian Brown's defense. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, one of the things that kind of stuck out early in the game is it seemed like they were having trouble getting the defensive play calls in fast enough. Guys were still looking at the sideline uh, when Florida State was lined yes. up, ready to go. Um, and I, and I think maybe that might have led to some of those early busts where guys were maybe in the wrong spot because, hey, I'm. I'm trying to get a call in. I'm trying to make sure they're not snapping the ball. You're looking back and forth, things like that. So, you know, that 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 that, that might be a factor. And that's some of, that's what Florida State wants to do to every defense. And, and honestly, I mean, they, their offense hasn't been the problem this year for the most part. So, 
you know, there, there's some things there that, that may be factored in. I would love to hear Brian Brown talk about that. You know, I, I think that's one thing about the staff that's been great is they've been pretty transparent and honest and open about, hey, we had a mistake here, this happened, or whatever it may be. Um, so hopefully, you know, maybe we get some answers on that, and maybe that explains some of the issues they had. So you alluded to, you know, Florida State being a high-powered offense. Um, we basically, This is the first game of the season that you really were facing an opponent that they're going to make you outscore them. Um, after the bye week, um, just moving forward, looking ahead just a little bit, Boston College is on the horizon. Uh, we're looking at maybe a two-and-a-half-hour game. I don't know. <laughs> it might be pounding the <laughs> pounding the pounding the rock about 50 times a piece. Um, what what do you see in Boston College? Um, to me, this is a this is a must-win game if you have any, if you want to have any hope of, of making a bowl game this year. Um, what what do you see in, in Boston College coming off uh, two very unimpressive games against um, Rutgers and Kansas? You know, I, I think that it's hard not to just look at those games and say, well, this is definitely a game that Louisville should feel good about. Um, you know, Boston College on offense started off the season pretty well against Virginia Tech, especially throwing the ball down the field. That was kind of something I was looking at, looking forward to seeing if they would stretch the field more this year. They, they have speed outside. Uh, they just don't use it very well. Um, but you have Kobe White and then uh, Flowers, the freshman that they have, is kind of similar to a 2-2 Atwell kind of player, mm-hmm. a little bit smaller, shifty, and lightning quick. Um, but they, they started working the ball down the field, those guys against Virginia Tech, really haven't done that since. Um, even against Richmond, they didn't really do that as much. So Kansas and Rutgers, they just they didn't really look too impressive to me. Um, it's it's kind of, and it's interesting. They really I don't think they have a turnover this year, uh, other than one from a uh, one of the receivers through an interception. So to to let Kansas put up 48 points on you and you didn't even give them extra chances, that's bad. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I watched that entire Rutgers game last week. Uh, Rutgers at times looked faster, um, looked better coached at times, and honestly it took until really late into the second half of that game for, for Boston College to kind of, you know, put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. Um, A.J. Dillon is still A.J. Dillon. He's going to do what he does. Um, but I think that Louisville's run defense has been much better. Uh, I think they, it, when they have the opportunity to not have to worry about that passing game as much, I think Brian Brown's going to really bring a lot of those run blitzes that he has in this game. Um, and stack the box and say, hey, we're going to trust these guys to handle your receivers and make Anthony Brown beat them. And Anthony Brown hasn't beaten anybody. Uh, I like him. He's a good player. But he, if you can put the ball in his hands and try to take away A.J. Dillon, he has not shown that he can do that. So I think that's a huge plus going forward. And I think their defense is flat out just bad this year. Um, so I think there's an opportunity for Louisville to not only get the running game going, but start to, to get that play action stuff going. And that, now that I think that Des Fitzpatrick has shown what he can do with his coaching staff, I think that they're going to spread it out a little bit more. It's not going to be so focused on 2-2 at well. I think he had 10 targets last week. Uh, obviously, the week before, it was just kind of, hey, snap the ball, look for 2-2. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to start looking at different things and trying to find a way to get those guys more involved. I think we'll see the offense be the full offense for the first time, uh, whether Malik's the starter or Jawan's the starter. And you just basically answered the question I was going to ask, but I'll ask it on the defensive side anyway. So what is like one particular thing you want to see uh, that they that 
they can work on and mitigate and change in the in the off week and, or the bye week they have. So like, what's what's one particular thing of improvement, I guess, uh, that you would really like to see Louisville show against Boston College? You know, I I, I want to see them uh, throw the ball like they did against Florida State when they were behind. I want to see them do that just in the in the base of the offense. Right. Uh, they've been close to about seventy percent run, I think, so far. I want to see them get closer to that 60%, which is where they want to, where Satterfield said they want to be. To be able to do that, you've got to be not only, hey, run first and everything comes off the off the run. you got to sometimes say, we're going to line up and just, you know, throw the ball on first down. Um, and, and I want to see them mix things up a little bit because I do think that at App State, they didn't have great receivers throughout the time that he was there. Last year, they had Corey Sutton, who led the Sun Belt in uh, yards per catch. I think he's a really good good player. He, he transferred from K-State. Um, and I think that kind of changed things up for him. I think he's got more options than he's ever had at receiver now. And I think he's got to work that in a little bit more. Because when these teams start stacking the box, yeah, you can throw the ball over top. But it really kind of makes it hard to run the ball. So you've got to kind of mix that in a little bit and say we're going to throw the ball to the outside a little bit and, and soften that defense a little bit, and then that helps the run also. And I don't know if he – I think Satterfield has said that, you know, talked about having these guys that can stretch the field and that opens up the run game, but he hasn't really utilized that yet. So I, I hope that they do that, and then that will help J.B. Hawkins and Hassan Hall run the ball more. And now you've got everything running because you can, you, can you can do either or. And whenever you can be multiple and be balanced, it makes it really hard for a defensive coordinator to call the game because you don't know what's coming next. I think they need to do that. They've been a little bit too predictable, so mix it up more, and I think that'll help them out. So being that it is encouraging that, you know, I, th- I think this was Louisville's game that they, you know, kind of gave away almost to where, you know, it's definitely winnable, and it, at least it's encouraging to see against a really, really, on paper, uh, individually talented team like FSU. But with all these things – Overall, you know, I think a majority of normal fans just want to know, like, what does this mean for the rest of the season? So, like, you just kind of teed up Boston College for us. Um, what what are you kind of seeing, you know, how this offense wants to be ran and assuming, you know, we can change a couple corrections quickly on defense, uh, especially in the secondary? How do you kind of see the rest of the season playing out with what you've seen from the other teams Louisville has yet to play? You know, I think that, you know, they're going to have a stretch after that BC game with, with Wake, Clemson, and Virginia. Uh, you know, that's a, that's going to be a tough stretch. Right. Because Wake Forest, is, I think Wake Forest is playing really well yeah. on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. I think their defense is doing enough um, that with, with how well their offense is playing that unless you can really – you're going to get into a shootout with them, um, that's, that's hard to win because they can score so well. Um, so I think you're, there's a stretch there where it's kind of it's kind of up in the air. I think that if they take three losses in a row – how does this team handle that? You know, um, you know, but I do think that the back end of the schedule is actually shaping up pretty well. Miami hasn't looked like a normal Miami team, right? Honestly, I guess in a sense they maybe have. You know, they're they're not really super <laughs> impressive. They're not using the Same athletes point. like they ha- that they have as well as they should probably. So you know, they they really struggled last week. NC State, I think, is is, is just in a down year. Uh, their quarterback play is very poor right now. Uh, their defense is kind of just okay. Um, so I think that, you know, that offense is really built around that, that the quarterback position and he's not playing well. So that's a, that's, that's a game that I think Louisville, by that time of the year, if they're healthy, if things are still progressing like they should, that's a game that they can, they can win. 
I think Syracuse is in the same boat. I mean, they, they, they obviously haven't done well this year either. They have questions. They have issues on both sides of the ball. And then Kentucky, you look at their issues, especially the fact that their backup quarterback is now injured and, and, and seems to be in a position where he's not really playing that well either. So I think there are plenty of winnable games. I think the big stretch, though, those three games with Wake, Clemson, and Virginia, how they how they play in those games, how if they can build off of even losses, if they take losses in those games, and not really look at this as, hey, well, okay, we're 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 bad again, you know, because a three game losing streak is if they were if that were to happen, that's hard to overcome, no matter how what kind of culture you've built. Uh, it's just it's just demoralizing. But right. if they play hard in those games, if they steal a win in those games, I think that we're looking at a team that could that could definitely uh, find a way to a bowl game. Right, and, and it sounded so weird to say, um, but I think I told either the Slack group or Jacob or Presley, but I told somebody in the writers group, I was like, I don't want to admit it, but I was like, I, I'm more concerned right now about the weight game than I am like the Miami game, right? And it's we so weird to say that, like, season, right. like I'm more worried about Wake Forest than than Miami. But from what I've seen so far, like you just said, um, you know, I, I mean, they 17 to 12, and I think that game was at home for Miami. So yeah, at home and uh, I haven't watched yeah, it yet, but I mean that, that yeah, like I haven't seen I, it. But either way, that's just such a weird score um, for another traditionally, you know, pretty talented Florida team. Yeah, and Central Michigan's not good, so that's another factor. It's not like they played a, a one of those good MAC teams, and you can say, "Hey, you know, you play Ohio, and Ohio's a good team. They've got a good coach. They've have they've win winning nine games every year for a few years now. That's a totally different thing than Central Michigan, that I think was picked last in the in their division. Uh, so, you know, when you're when you're doing that at home, you have the superior athletes, and you still their offense is still not very good. They're just not their their offensive line is very young. And I think that that's a real big issue for them. Uh, their quarterback play has, has been fine, but they're not pushing the ball down the field at all. Um, so you, you just—it's just a waste of these big-time athletes they have outside, and they just don't use them very well. They do a lot of stuff close to the line of scrimmage, and you know that—that's just—it's just it's silly. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, every all these teams have issues outside of Clemson um, in the conference. So it's about whether or not on that specific game, if Louisville can exploit those issues. And, I, and, you know, you look at the Florida State game. Florida State's been getting up big, and then they, they take the foot off the gas or whatever it may be. They wear out. Whatever the problem is, Louisville was able to exploit that. And that, that brought them back. And then, you know, at the end of the game, I think that Louisville had a chance to win it. To be honest, they, they, they blew the win. I mean, honestly, the, the interception Malik threw, that kind of that just changed the game. You know, they go in and score a touchdown there. Is it? We're having a completely different conversation. We're talking about, hey, how how soon do they get the bowl eligibility? You know, so I think that what they showed against Florida State is that this this staff can motivate these guys to play at a high level. Now it's just uh, executing, and I think the biggest issue, and it was the same issue going into the preseason, is that can the quarterback play take a step forward? Because I think the running game has shown that they can do it. I think the defense, for the most part has has made plays and does some things to slow down opposing offenses but louisville needs better quarterback play less turnovers a big play here and there we saw that against western kentucky obviously um we need they need that more often than not and they're not really getting it so far so that's one thing with this bye week coming up maybe these guys are both both healthy they get two weeks to prove that hey 
I'm the guy, and maybe someone takes the reins. So before Presley signs us off, one word answer. Who would you rather have starting at QB against Boston College? Juwan Pass. Okay. That was two words, but it's whatever. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's... I just think the running game is better. The offense looks better under him. I agree. And, and you know, the sacks that Malik Cunningham takes kind of takes away from some of these bigger plays they've seen in the passing game. You know, you can't – if they were having one without the other, if they had less sacks and he was making these big passing plays, I'd be all in on Malik. But yeah. um, he just puts them in adverse situations too often, and it kind of – it takes it makes the offense worse, in my opinion. I agree. Absolutely, man. Well, I mean, to me, I think there's still a positive outlook going forward this season. I think there's a lot of positives you can take from the first, which, believe it or not, first third of the season is already over. Uh, it means we only got yeah. we only got eight games left with with, uh, with our regular visitor Keith Wynn. You can find his work on Car Chronicle. Um, if you have never read an article by Keith, uh, take five minutes out of your day, um, go to Car Chronicle and check it out. He puts a lot of time and effort into what he does. Uh, we love reading it, um, and we look forward to having him back on the show. Keith, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks again for having me on, guys. Of course, buddy.